Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. If you're new here, I just want to say welcome. We're so glad you're here. There's actually, uh, there's actually some Bibles uh, spread around the chairs, and that is yours to keep if you don't have one. Um, you can take it home, write your name in it. It is our gift to you. And there's also some connect cards as well, and that's a good way for us to get connected with you. And so if, if that is, um, you want to get plugged in, you want to learn more, I'd encourage you to fill one of those out and drop it in the offering box because myself, being somebody involved with the church, definitely want to meet you. So yeah, as, as Brian said, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jake, and I help serve CC. I lead a, one of our gospel communities that meets on Tuesday nights, so yeah, go Tuesday. And uh, you'll see me up here doing announcements every now and then. Um, and then I uh, work with a college ministry on campus at U of O, too. So pretty involved with, yeah, some of the, some of the hooligans you see over here uh, on the side. But, yeah, it's a, it's a joy for me to do that. But, yeah, thanks for, yeah, I mean, I guess thanks, Rick, for letting me come up here and, and like, share God's word with you guys. Um, so today's sermon, uh, the title is The Saints' Amnesia. So we've been going through a series called Saints in Society. In other words, as followers of Jesus, we are given the title of saints, and we're looking at what the Bible says, what it means to be a saint in the society that we live in. So we're going through the letter of 1 Corinthians, which is a letter written by Paul to the church of Corinth, addressing them like how to be a saint in a society that actually doesn't act like saints, a society that in many ways turns to the opposite of saintliness. So we've seen issues of division within the church of Corinth, arguing, and even people not honoring God with their bodies and committing all kinds of, of sexual moral act, acts. Now, it's easy to think, man, these Corinthians are dumb. Like, if you're sitting in the seats, you're like, what are they doing? Or like, this place is a mess. But I think what I want you to see this morning is that they are trying to figure out how to live holy lives in an unholy place. Does that sound familiar to you at all? I think Christians in Eugene and even here at GCC fundamentally face some of those same, you know, struggles that the Corinthians were facing. Division about what the right kind of worship is. Arguing about, arguing with one another over which pastor is best, who the best preacher is. And of course, members within the church struggle to honor God with their bodies in a society that is filled with pornography and easy to hook up with people. And I, and I include myself in that where that is a struggle for me. So the question is, why am I saying this? I think it's easy to distance ourselves from the text and say like, okay, that was a different time, all right? But when we do that, we actually miss out on the richness of the Bible and what God is seeking to say to us and engage with us in right here, right now. So with that in mind, I'm just gonna kinda jump in. Um, I was trying to think, of a really cool like intro story to get things warmed up, but I couldn't think of one, and I feel like that would have just been forcing things. So I'm not gonna have one. Uh, so if that's part of your feedback, I, I'm open to hear it. Um, so uh, the the chapter we're gonna be in is First uh, Corinthians chapter six, uh, and Paul in chapters five through seven is addressing morality issues uh, within the church. So the last couple weeks we've looked at. Um, kind of Paul addressing sexual immorality within the church, 
And then right after this section, he goes right back and talks about sexual immorality again and like principles for marriage. So why does Paul do this? Like why sandwiched in the middle does he have one with the title of lawsuits against believers, amongst believers? And I think his point is, I think it's equally immoral how you treat your brothers and sisters when issues come up as it is when you're struggling with sexual immorality. So I think in our culture, I'll be honest with you, we tend to elevate like sexual sin and we're like, that's up here and that's actually, well, I guess we say down here, like that's like the bad stuff. But I think Paul in, in putting it in here and sandwiching it in here is saying that that's actually equally as immoral and how you treat your brothers and sisters within the church. And so with that in mind, we're going to go ahead and jump in, and I'm just going to pray really quick before we do that. Lord, I just want to say thank you for who you are. Thank you even as we um, were singing up front that, Lord, you are Lord of all and that you have given us grace when we don't deserve it. Lord, you, um, yeah, our king, your God of all. Lord, thank you that you have actually given us and, and given us a family and you put us in a family. And I pray that through your word today, you show us what it looks like to engage with our brothers and sisters in a God-honoring way and in a gospel-centered way. And Lord, I just pray that you would use my words uh, to speak to people wherever it is they're coming in today. Um, and as my friend Ronnie Gogan likes to pray, I pray the same, that if there's anything I say that is untrue, I pray to go in one ear and out the other. But if there's anything that I say that is true, I pray that as people walk away from these chairs, that it would continue to sink in their heart, Lord, because it's from you. And so, love you, Lord, and uh, yeah, pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. So I'm going to read, we're going to be in verses 1 through 8 of chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians. So I'm going to start by reading verses 1 through 6. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare... Go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more, then, matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers, but brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. So uh, I just feel like I got to say this really quick uh, for the ladies in the room. Like, we see the word brothers a lot and, like, men a lot in the Bible. Like, it is actually brothers and sisters, okay? So just know that this isn't like a free pass, you know, kind of thing. Sorry, but... But it is. It, is, it means brothers and sisters. So anytime you see that or you hear me say that, it is, is both like the, the family of God. So what's happening here in verse 1? Well, fellow believers within the church are taking their brothers and sisters to court. Okay? They're filing lawsuits against one another. And specifically in courts you know, where, that are outside of the church and where the people outside of the church are giving like the final verdict. And they're in charge of what's happening. So what are these grievances, or as the NIV translates, disputes, Paul never really says, which I think is kind of weird because like the chapter before, he was totally okay being very specific about a guy sleeping with his stepmother, and like that is a very specific thing and detail he gave, but now he's being kind of vague of like saying just disputes. So why the ambiguity here? And I think my only thought I could think of in my guess is that there's just too many. 
Like if he just like made a list of all the people, like the issues people were suing each other over, going to court over, it would probably be a very long list. So my guess is that there are big things all the way to really small things that people were taking each other to court for. Um, and it's got to be a big enough issue for Paul to address it, right? He's like going through this list almost in Corinthians of like, here's what I want to hit on. And this must have been an issue within the church so much so that he needs to address it. And I, I love Paul. He says, how, how dare you go to a church, or go to, sorry, uh, people outside of the church to deal with this, as if it's the worst idea ever. And so the question I have is, why is that a bad idea? Courts are made for finding justice, right? It seems like that should be an okay thing to go deal with something in a court. But here's why Paul says it's actually not a good idea. So Paul's concern wasn't that they would get an unfair hearing. Like, he wasn't worried about people suffering injustice based on the, the court system. But his concern was that they were going to someone outside of the church to deal with an issue that they had together. His concern that they weren't, it was that he wasn't, that, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, his concern was that they weren't trusting each other to handle the issue. In other words, they were going to someone outside of their family to get what they want. So they wanted something, they couldn't agree on it, and they're like, I'm going to go to somebody outside of this church to deal with this for me. And that's Paul's main concern. Like, how can you do this? How can you go outside of people that are your family to get what you want? And this deeply grieves Paul because ultimately the Corinthians were putting the worldly courts as the ultimate authority, not the church or the like, family or the church leaders. So the disputes among Christians, I believe, like, should be handled among Christians, that's, I think, is Paul's main point, is like when there's issues or disputes, they need to be handled amongst the church, not taken outside of it. And to reiterate this point, verse 2 and 3, he says, uh, or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So he says, if we're going to be, you know, judging the world, shouldn't we be able to handle issues that happen within the church? Like, if we're judging the world, that seems like a pretty big responsibility. And if we're competent enough to do that, we should be able to handle things. It's kind of common sense. Like, as I was reading this section, I was like, Paul is kind of just showing what common sense is. Like, you deal with things in this way. And if we're one day, you know, to judge the world, we, we should be able to handle these things. He's pointing out that they're more than capable. He says, are you not you know, competent enough to do this. And so when he talks about angels, by the way, some of you are like, what is, what is he talking about? Um, he's actually talking about fallen angels that, that one day uh, believers will, will judge the fallen angels who, who have turned away from God. And so his rhetorical question of, are you not competent enough, is obviously like Paul's way of saying like, duh, you are definitely smart enough to handle these things amongst yourself. And it shouldn't get to the point where you have to take somebody to court. And so in other words, we're talking about the saints' amnesia. That, that's what I said the title was. I think the Corinthians, part of their amnesia was that they for, forgot that they were able to handle conflict amongst themselves. That they have the spirit of the living God dwelling within them, which of course is the spirit of reason, intellect, understanding, empathy, and even compassion. So part of their amnesia was that they forgot that they could and should be handling things amongst the church family and not taking it outside. So they didn't stop to think um, when they went to the outside church for ruling that the person who's doing the ruling 
ruling actually isn't judging them through a gospel lens. They're just judging by whatever the world or the society at the time had in place. And so you're, you're getting not a full picture of like God's uh, maybe justice or his ruling. You're getting whatever the worldly ruling would be. And so he's saying that's not the place to go to handle these things. And so to go on and move on in verse uh, 4 through 6, he says, So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? So here's the, the biggest problem. The biggest issue is that they're going to, you know, the outside sources to deal with something they can't settle on. And that is actually how a lot of us deal with conflicts and issues, if we're honest. Something happens between me and somebody else, and instead of going to that person and figuring it out, right, and settling on something, making a compromise, I think we go to outside sources who are not, not only involved in that party, but I think we go to outside sources that are not part of the church, and we vent and complain, and some of us, I would say, like even tend to gossip, and that's like the realm that it goes in. We say, I can't believe this person did that. Can you? And then we get people to say, like, yeah, what the heck? Like, why are they doing that? And you kind of, like, get almost this. I almost use, like, The Bachelor as an example. It's just terrible. But you know how, like, you're watching The Bachelor and people start, like, a follower of this person. You're like, I want that, I want that like, lady to win, you know? And they kind of get this, like, following. And I think that that's what kind of happens uh, when issues come up. And we're like, I can't believe they do this. And you kind of get, like, a posse together against whatever it is that you feel like you've been done wrong. Now, I know we may not be suing one another uh, all the time and suing people within the church, but here's my question. Don't we try to make people pay who've, who've wronged us? And I think if we're really honest with ourselves, the question, you know, the answer to that question would be, yeah. Like when people wrong us, our natural response is we want them to pay for what they have done. And Paul says, I say this to your shame. It's like pretty strong language. It's like, when you're, it's like when your parents say that they're not mad, they're disappointed. It's like so much worse that they're disappointed in you. And Paul's like very strongly like, you should be ashamed of the way that you're treating one another. And another thought I have is, where are the church leaders in all of this? Like, why is it getting to the point where people are just suing one another? They're taking each other to court. Like, what is happening and I think it's easy to say that the like, church leaders and others within the church are completely absent. Like they're not involved with whatever these issues are that are going on. And I would say that they're potentially avoiding the conflict altogether, which I think is also what many of us here do. Whenever there's an issue, we sit in the corner and wait for it to blow over. You know, it's like you like kind of put the, you like put your hat on like low like this and you're like, okay, I'll come up for air when, when this is all done, right? And we wait for it to blow over. But I think this just uh, tends uh, to result in people just bottling up their emotions because there's no reconciliation that happens. And when there's no reconciliation, the emotions that are involved are never actually dealt with. And I think this is equally as destructive as taking people outside to a, a court that is not connected to the church. It's equally destructive to actually not engage yourself in it. And I'm going to be the first to raise my hand and say, that is my tendency. Uh, I want people to like me. And so if there's any, like, ever issue, I'm just like, okay, there's, there's no problem. Like, whatever will keep my, like, good standing with you, 
that's what I want to do, right? And so I just completely avoid any type of conflict or anything like that because I want to keep that, like, good relationship. And I think there's probably some of you who are, like, smiling and nodding your head saying, like, that is totally me, too. And so know that that is actually, I think, can be just as equally destructive because when I don't deal with stuff and I don't talk about it and I feel like I've been wronged, I just like kind of like push it down, like down, 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 and I'm like a volcano. And then like one, like it'll just like someday just like erupts and it'll go everywhere, right? And so many of you know what that's like is when you don't deal with stuff, it just gets pressed down. And so I think that's also an issue going on in the church right now in Corinth. And so uh, his other point, one, one last thing I want to say uh, for this little section, it says, brother goes to law against brother in front of unbelievers. So another a point Paul is trying to make is how does it look for those who are outside the church if every other day there's a case with two Christians who are claiming to love Jesus and that they're devoted to him and they can't figure stuff out and they're suing each other? Like, how does that look to people who, who aren't part of the church? They're like, man... These people say they love Jesus who, who gave their life for them. They're devoted to him. They're giving everything to him. And yet, they're like withholding things from one another. So much so that they're taking each other to court. And Paul's like, you're, you're doing this in front of people who don't even know Jesus. Like, how does that look to them? And he uses such strong language because we deal with, the, the way we deal with each other is actually a clear witness to who the one we serve is. The way I treat my brothers and sisters shows my love for Jesus and my devotion to him. So my question for you, I actually would love for you to wrestle with, if you, if you call yourself a Christian and you're in this room, does the way you deal with conflict with your brothers and sisters reflect a heart that has been transformed by the gospel? Does the way you deal with conflict with your brothers and sisters reflect a heart that has been transformed by the gospel? And unfortunately, a lot of times my answer to that question is no. And so that is, I think, um, why Paul is using such strong language is there's these points that he's saying, like, man, you have to understand the way you do treat your brothers and sisters is equally as important as, like, staying sexually pure or <laughs> these other issues that he is addressing. And I love what he goes into next. Verse 7 and 8 says, To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. And Paul says, even to just have these lawsuits and these issues, well, I should just say lawsuits, not the issues themselves. It's a loss because to have an issue, one big enough to go to like secular courts and deal with them, it shows that both people aren't willing uh, to budge on what they feel they deserve, which is a loss because the way we, you know, should be handling conflict is to die to ourselves, as Paul says in the second half. He says, why not rather suffer wrong? Why not you be the one to suffer the wrong? Why not you be defrauded? But instead, the people were like, nope, I deserve this, and I'm staying here, and I'm staying here so much so that I'm willing to take you to court and make sure that I get what I deserve. And they were trying to fraud one another. What that means is like, if someone owed them money, they were like trying to like get it at interest if they paid it late. They were like, no, I owed you. Uh, so I'm going to take you to court and make sure not only do I get what I paid you, but I'm going to get a little bit extra because you're late. 
Does that sound like it reflects somebody, you know, who loves Jesus? So Paul is not saying that we should never have issues with each other. I want you to hear that loud and clear. Like, he's not saying that we shouldn't have issues. Of course that will happen. Like, any of us with common sense know that problems do come up with human beings, right? But when we do have issues, we should deal with it. And we should deal with it in a way that honors God. And there's a reason that of the Ten Commandments, the first four are dealing with, like, your vertical relationship with God. And then the last six, like, so there's more dealing with how you treat one another. Like, do not commit adultery. Like, do not covet. Like, there is a reason for that is because issues will happen. Problems amongst each other, amongst ourselves will happen. And the question is, how, how will we handle it when it does come up? And I want to transition a little bit into what I feel like Paul is really actually getting at the heart of this. The title of the sermon, like I said, is Saints Am- The Saints Amnesia. To put it simply, I think the Corinthians forgot the gospel. And I think so do we. They forgot that the, one who, the only one who truly has a right to sue anyone is God. And because of our sin, we actually owe God our life. Romans 6.23 says, but for the wages of sin is death. And again, I love that Rick brought up, we, we throw out these words a lot and we don't actually talk about what they mean. And so sin is not just breaking, you know, the Ten Commandments or like doing wrong or something like that. It's actually falling short of a perfect relationship with God. Anything that is outside of that, even just a smidge, is considered sin or like missing the mark, right? And so... According to Romans 6.23, it says the wages of sin is death, so we actually owe God our life. But, this is good news, instead of making us pay the debt that we owed, he sent his only son Jesus to pay it for us. So you see the attitude that the Corinthians and many of us have when we do have problems, that I'll make you pay when we're wronged by others, is the exact opposite of the gospel. And the gospel says, I will pay it for you because you can't. And I think that the Corinthians forgot that. I'll say it one more time. It says, I'll, the, I'll make you pay when you are wronged by others is the exact opposite of the gospel. The gospel says, I will pay it for you. And Jesus, thankfully, showed us exactly what that looks like more than once uh, when we have grievances amongst each other. Just to give you a few Uh, examples. Jesus said, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn your other cheek to them. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. So if someone is taking you to court, as Paul says, why not you be the one who is suffering wrong? Why not you be defrauded? And Jesus, obviously, that is where that originates from. Turn your cheek to someone else. And Jesus even modeled this. When he was arrested, he allowed himself to be spat on, whipped, and mocked so that we could be reconciled and live at peace with God. So he himself suffered the wrong. He himself showed us what it looks like to ultimately turn the other cheek when you are innocent and you don't deserve anything that you are given to actually give up your life for that. But I'd say that we forget this. And, and I love Jesus uh, like saying, I think, what this kind of looks like in story. I, I, I like that he uh, shares things in stories. It's easy for me to follow. So there's a a parable in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, and it'll be up on the screen. And it goes like this. Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, 
I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, I think, and seizing him. He began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow, ser- when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Just like this servant forgot what the king had done for him, that he had forgiven him all his debt, actually a debt he could never pay. If you actually looked in the, in the text, it was basically, I think it was like something like a year's wages, which would have been really difficult to pay back at the time. A debt he could never repay. The, king, the, the master says, I forgive all of it. And he turns around and he's like, I want my five bucks from you that you owe me, right? And if you don't give it, I'm going to throw you in jail. And so I think we too quickly forget the grace that we have been forgiven by God, the same grace that is unearned that we were just singing about right before I got up here. And that grace settled the eternal dispute between us and God. And yet we are too much like the servant in the parable, and we turn around to our brothers and sisters and demand what we, de- we think we deserve from them. Paul is saying to the Corinthians, and I think through his word God is saying to us this morning, that we, we actually must deal with issues amongst each other in a way that reflects that gospel. We should be fighting actually with one another to like who can show grace first. I, I, we should be like, I, no, like no, I'm, I'm going to let you do this. Like I'm going to be the one that is going to suffer wrong here and I'm going to give it to you. We should be fighting about that, I think. And we should be fighting to forgive one another just as God forgave us. Be really quick to do that. And I think in conflict, we die to ourselves as Christ died for us. And I think that that is the gospel. And being married, uh, I can confidently tell you that a majority of issues that happen uh, in my marriage with Sarah center around one of us not, not being willing to lay down what we think we deserve. She would tell you, and I have permission to share this, that most of the issues that come up is, is with her not willing to lay down her rights and what she feels she has the right to. Me, I'm similar. I think I deserve respect. I think I deserve kindness, like to be kind, you know, to me, to be followed, right? Uh, I think I deserve people to just be uh, willing to listen to me and like, understand every thought that like, goes on in here, which is tough to do. But here's the thing. If I really step back and, and I think about it, I don't deserve a single thing. And I think we can translate that to being like, that is a very like, low self-esteem, 
but I'd argue that it's just the, the, the facts. Like, I don't deserve anything because I am someone who has fallen short of the glory of God, and I don't deserve this or that or anything from my brothers and sisters. In fact, I do deserve to be eternally separated from God because of, of my sin. And by God's grace, I get to be reconciled to him. And when I actually remember this, <laughs> I can approach conflict, not just with my wife, but with other people. That's just where it comes up mostly. Uh, when you like live together 24-7, it, it, ha- it definitely happens. Um, and when we're willing to say, you know, I can approach conflict saying, I'm going to lay down what I think I deserve and die to myself in order to glorify Jesus. Unfortunately, that happens once in a blue moon. But when it does happen, I think it's a great way to like reflect and honor God. And so uh, to close, I-, I like to give some like application. Now, I just got to say, these things will not save you. Bless you. If you're like looking to these and you're like, oh, I, I just got to do this in it and I'll be good. No, like these things will not save you. It is uh, going to God, understanding that you have fallen short and only his grace is, the, is the, the thing that will empower you and his spirit will empower you to do these things, okay? But these, I think these are just things that I've found helpful um, as you're like dealing with issues that come up uh, with people. The first is go directly to the person. It's like definitely common sense and I think some of us who have lived a lot longer than myself are like, yes, that is something you should do. I'm a huge uh, hockey fan, if you don't know that. Um, I do this like every time, but I am wearing my hockey socks even today. Um, but what I love about hockey is, you guys are going to like this, is it's like the one sport left. When you have an issue with somebody, you just drop the mitts and you start fighting each other. Like, you know, you don't go around and like start talking. If you do that, somebody's going to come find you and handle it between the two of you. And that's what I love about this sport is like people aren't afraid to just go at it. They fight each other. They go to the penalty box or as some call it the sin bin and they're, they're good. They're like, we handled it. I, I'm, I'm good. You're good. Yeah, we, we kind of duked it out. And I think we can learn from the sport of hockey, not just that, I've, I think, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but in all seriousness, I mean, it's just like go, go to the person that, that has wronged you. When you start going to all, it like spreads like a wildfire if you go to people that are outside the source. Uh, the second is make sure your heart is, uh, is your, your heart is for reconciliation, not to prove yourself right or to get justice for yourself. Again, make sure that your heart is for reconciliation, like to, to be good with them not to prove yourself right or to get justice for yourself. So if I am going to the source and I'm like, hey, I'm going to you, but my heart is like, I just want you to say you're sorry because you messed up and I deserve to be apologized to. If that's your heart, I would say that is probably not a healthy way to engage in that issue. But I would say like, if our heart is for reconciliation, like I love you, you are my brother, my sister, and I want to be good with you. And I want us to... um, yeah, be good, then I'm going to go to you um, with that heart. And I think the last is, is just as we were talking about at the end, is to practice laying down your rights. And I would say the best person to learn from for that is Jesus himself. So if you're not familiar with the way he laid down his rights, like he, he was God and he literally took on the form of a man laying down his rights to be, you know, like 
uh, someone who has dominion over everything, but he lived, right, amongst us, and he laid down his rights to actually do that. And so I think he is the one that we learn from. Let's pray. Lord, uh, I am so grateful that you give us your word. I'm so grateful um, that even thousands of years ago, Paul was willing to write this and, and address some of the things that were happening in the church of Corinth. And thank you that we get to benefit from that. Thank you that you remind us of the gospel, that you remind us of how you laid down every right that you had so that we could be reconciled to you. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't forget that we don't deserve anything, that we actually, Lord, as we uh, understand what you have done for us, that we would approach our relationships with other people, issues with other people with that same heart, one that is quick to lay down what we think we deserve for the sake of the other person and to be reconciled to them. Love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.